Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Well, hey there, my beautiful friend. Welcome back to the club. You know what I have figured out about myself is that I am a straight up self-help junkie. I wish you could see my bookcase. It's like busting at the seams with all of my self-help books from nutrition to mindset to productivity to parenting to money management to marriage I am obsessed with the field of self-improvement. And honestly, it's one of the things that has drawn me to the Bible because it's like the ultimate self-help book, the book of life advice. Once I kind of looked at the Bible that way, um, I started picking it up less out of obligation as something like I was supposed to read to be a good Christian and more out of just seeking the self-improvement. And, you know, I'd get into the Bible and it'd be like unearthing these, these little treasures. It's still that way, unearthing these gems of life advice um, as you make your way through the Bible. So today I want to share with you some of the self-help tips that I've picked up from our soul sisters in the Bible. Because don't you know, they faced all the kinds of problems that we do today. And over the years, as I've read the Bible, I just really perk up when it comes to something about women, you know, the women's stories, because there's just not that many compared to all of the men's stories in there, right? And it's just kind of male dominant. So when I come across a woman, I really just perk up and pay attention. And I thought I'd share with you some of the life lessons that resonate with me. And then I hope intrigue you and help you to see that the Bible is a living book that speaks to us and is relevant right now, right now as our time, in our time as women. Um, But before we get started, I have to make the disclaimer that I am no minister, no Bible scholar, no theologian. I just, I try to read my Bible regularly and get something out of it. Okay. You know, that movie, um, Notting Hill, when Julia Roberts says to Hugh Grant, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Well, I'm just a girl standing in front of her Bible, trying to understand what it's saying and use it in my life. Um, So I just want to share that with you. So there could be times I, you know, don't get something right. And I just want to make that disclaimer. Speaking of disclaimers, this is a sidebar, but Have y'all heard my disclaimer at the end of the podcast, the one my daughter does? Because I have to say, it's pretty darn cute. (laughs) But I'm a little biased. Um, But I've had a lot of you comment on it, and so thank you for that. Um, She is just my sweet girl. And the disclaimer comes a little bit after the music at the end of the podcast, and so some people might cut it off before they hear it. 
basically it's a disclaimer that I'm not a doctor and just letting you know that, but it's pretty cute from an eight-year-old who still can't say her R's correctly. So anyway, that'll brighten your day if you listen to that. Um, that's an important disclaimer, but also this disclaimer here that I am no theologian or Bible expert. I am like you, just a lay person, um, you know, reading my Bible and trying to get the most out of it to live a better life. So over the years, um, as I've picked up my Bible and I've just come across these different women. Okay. And like the first one that comes to mind, like, let's just start right out of the gate here, um, with Eve, you know, poor Eve, she gets all the blame for letting everything go to hell in a handbasket. But you know what? <laughs> Guess what? Eve did something that we do as women that we struggle with constantly. And that is that she gave in to food temptation. Think about that. Think of it that way for a minute. Okay. We kind of know that, right? On the on this higher plane level. Oh yeah, she ate the apple, but she gave in to food temptation. Well, I do that all the time, right? She had the voice of the enemy in her ear lying about all that she would gain if she ate this food. The enemy was saying, what's the big deal? You eat this yummy food and you get wisdom and you totally deserve that. And how is that different from us today when we hear, just eat the cookies. I mean, what's the big deal? You've had a hard day. You totally deserve it. It'll make you feel so much better to treat yourself. I mean, y'all, we totally face the same thing. And I'm sure glad the trajectory of, the, of humanity was not resting on my shoulders and my ability to overcome temptation because I would have failed miserably over and over. So can we just cut our soul sister Eve some slack here? I mean, our tempter does not slither up to us in the form of a talking snake. But don't doubt that the enemy is constantly worming his way into our minds, preying upon our weaknesses, which for so many of us is food. You know what fascinates me about this whole situation is that Eve ate the fruit because she was promised to be given this greater power of knowledge of good and evil to be like an all-knowing God. It stands to reason that before that, Adam and Eve didn't have that capacity, you know, that they didn't have that capacity to know and feel all of the evil in the world. At the time, they knew nothing but good. They were in the presence of God. But the minute she took the bite of that apple or the fruit, their brains took on the capacity to know guilt and shame and fear and sickness and depression and just all of the evil and oppressive things that go on in this world. That's why they were immediately embarrassed that they were naked and tried to cover up. Before that, they didn't have that brain capacity to think about shame or guilt. So you see, having the knowledge of good and evil was just not all it's cracked up to be. God was trying to shield us from having the ability to know this hurt and pain. But this act allowed evil to worm its way into our minds, where we still battle it today. Again, the point is not to bash Eve here. I'm glad it wasn't Adam and Chelsea in the garden and that my name was forever associated with the fall of humanity. Of humanity. Um, 
you know, it is what it is. And the takeaway for me is to recognize that food temptation, you know, um, and that food temptation is a way that the enemy tries to get to us and derail us. He would love for you to feel guilt and shame all day about your food choices. He would love for you to stay focused on that rather than stay focused on God. He would love to take up so much of your brain space with this that it crowds out thoughts of your blessings. We have to be vigilant and aware and intentional in turning our minds away from this. This is like my whole mission when it comes to teaching food peace. Um, But the most important way to counteract this constant barrage from the enemy is to know God's word and how to use scripture as the sword to fight it. Okay, the next Bible soul sister I want to talk about is Sarah. Y'all remember Sarah and Abraham? Remember that God promised Abraham he would be the father of many nations, that his offspring would multiply and be God's people, that this would become um, this would become the Jewish people, and ultimately establish the lineage of Jesus. But y'all, Abraham and Sarah were old, like in their eighties at least. They didn't have any kids, okay? And can you imagine trying to believe God's promise that they <laughs> that they would have kids at this point in their lives? At one point, Sarah laughed at the absurdity of it. But God said they would, and he did make it happen, but not right away. I think it was like 10-ish years before that promise came to fruition, between the time God promised it and that it actually happened. So while they were waiting around for Sarah to conceive a baby in her old age, um, you know, we're talking like post-menopausal, um... Apparently, she was starting to doubt that this would actually happen. I can't say that I blame her. I I mean, the whole thing is just so unreal, right? Um, And so she's like, this is not going to happen. So she has this grand idea. She thought she would, quote unquote, help God's plan along by having her maid have the baby that would start this nation of God's people. So she told her maid, Hagar, to roll around in the tent with Abraham so that we could get this party started, right? Well, Hagar did um, go with Abraham, and she became pregnant with a son whose name was Ishmael. An angel of the Lord told Hagar that Ishmael would be a wild ass of a man and live in hostility against his brothers. That line kind of cracks me up. It makes me think of like the most unruly teenager on the planet. But on a more serious note, Ishmael's line of people did not become the Jewish nation in the ultimate lineage of Christ. Ishmael's line is what ultimately became the branch of Islam. Now, isn't that kind of crazy to think about? Where would we be today if Sarah hadn't pushed Hagar into the tent with Abraham? Would we have all this religious strife in the world? I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't want to throw Sarah under the bus. It's likely that if it didn't start here, it would have originated in another way. 
But I think we can learn a very valuable lesson from Sarah, and that is not to take matters into our own hands when it comes to God's plans. We cannot see the bigger picture. And just because we may feel his promise is not coming to us in our desired timing, it doesn't mean it's not coming. God did bless Abraham and Sarah with a child in their ripe old age. His name was Isaac, and through Isaac, God fulfilled his promise. But again, the takeaway here is not to try and force God's hand. His timing is always perfect. Speaking of perfect timing and God's plan, I love the story that involves Isaac's wife, Rebecca. So when it was time for Isaac to take a wife, Abraham sent one of his servants back to his homeland to pick out a woman for him. So yes, you heard that right. Isaac was not involved in the decision because his dad was afraid he'd choose one of the local Canaanite chicks and Abraham wasn't down with that. So off the servant goes to pick out a wife for the child God promised to bear the line of great people. No pressure, dude. Um, I'm sure that that servant was like feeling the weight of the world (laughs) to get it right. But he did something really smart. He prayed for guidance. And he prayed for a clear sign. And you know how I love me a clear sign from God. So this is what he said. um, This is what he prayed and said to God. He said, the young women of the city will soon come to this well for water. And I will ask one of them for a drink. If she gives me a drink and then offers to get some water for my camels, I'll know she's the one you have chosen and that you have kept your promise to my master. So that's a pretty clear and specific sign that he asked for. And because God is so awesome, a very clear and specific answer he received. But here's what really stands out to me about this story. Okay, so here comes Rebecca along to do her daily chores, right? I mean, she's coming to get water. It's probably not a fun chore having to get this water, right? It's probably getting really old doing the same thing day after day. It's probably expected of her, and I doubt she gets a lot of gratitude or praise over it. You know what popped into my head when I was reading the story? Folding laundry. I get so sick of folding the dadgum laundry, and it never goes away. It's an ongoing chore And I mean, sometimes I get thanks, you know, they might might throw me a thanks here and there, but not always. Now, luckily my kids are taking on more responsibility for their laundry as they get older, but there's been a lot of years of folding Batman and Disney princess underwear that seemed endless and thankless. You mamas know what I'm talking about. Now, we don't know if Rebecca secretly grumbled about her chores or had evil thoughts about her dad, you know, in her mind for making her do them. But what we do know is that she performed her chore graciously. When Abraham's servant ran to her and said, please let me have a drink of water, she said, I'll be glad to. And not only that, she said, now I'll give all your camels all the water they want. And the Bible tells us that she kept getting water for the camels until they had drunk all they wanted, which I'm sure took a lot of effort on her part. She went above and beyond her duty. And of course, this was the sign the servant was looking for. 
He immediately gave her a ring and gold bracelets, and there was a lot more of that forthcoming once he'd had the chance to talk with Rebecca's dad about the opportunity to marry Isaac. Y'all, the thing I love about this story is that Rebecca was just doing her thing, right? She was being faithful and obedient servant, doing this task day after day, and then her life changed in an instant. In the blink of an eye, she became wealthy and beloved by a very important man in God's big plan. Her life changed in an instant. I like to think of this story when I'm feeling the drudgery of daily chores or challenges. That if I just do what I know I'm supposed to do and do it with patience and grace and appreciation, I mean, y'all, I know there's going to come a day when I miss that fat man underwear so much. And so I just try to appreciate it when it's in front of me as I'm folding the laundry, you know, these these littler clothes are becoming bigger people clothes. And that does make me sad. So I just try to, you know, frame it in a way that I'm just so appreciative. I have these clothes of these people I love to fold. And I think that when we can do that, um, we just never know what that's leading up to in our lives. You know, I feel God calling me to something bigger in this nutrition and health work that I do but I don't know exactly what it is. You know, I feel like I'm playing an important role in his bigger plan. And sometimes I want to force it like Sarah, you know, like I get all these like projects in my head I want to do and, you know, I will try to force them. There's several coming to my mind, several projects I've tried to force and I sit down to try to, you know, get them down on paper and they are not forthcoming. And um, I have come to learn that that is a sign that it's not the time for them or it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So, um, and I think, you know, I'm so glad that I've I've realized that. It helps me let it go a little bit easier. And so uh, there are times I want to force it, but I know that if I just keep my head down and do the work that I'm called to do right now, that things could change in an instant. That if I am obedient to this kingdom work in the moment, like Rebecca, then he'll take care of the rest, whatever, you know, whatever that is going to be. I mean, Rebecca could not have orchestrated, you know, those events, even if she wanted to. I mean, may, she could have been a person that, you know, was at that water well dreaming of marrying a rich man or dreaming of traveling to a new land and, you know, trying, thinking of all of these ways to make it happen. Or she could do what she did, show up doing her work in a way that was obedient and gracious and let God take care of the hell. I love that. Let's just let God take care of the how and the big plan. It takes so much of the pressure off of us. Okay, the next lady lesson comes to us from a woman who is mentioned just so very briefly in the Bible. It's just like a little blip. We're not even given her name. We just know her as Lot's wife. So in the story, Lot and his wife are fleeing the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the Lord is about to come down on this city. He is about to destroy it because of all of the wickedness going on there. And on their way out of the city, they were instructed to hurry and run forward and not look back. But Lot's wife, she did. 
she couldn't help help herself. She looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Yikes. So um, that was it for Lot's wife. <laughs> the story moves on and she is not a part of it. But y'all, this is one of those stories that I felt God helped me relate to health. It resonated with me so greatly because what we do as women, we tend, when we make a poor choice, um, especially when it comes to our diets, we look back and obsess over it. We get frozen in the past of our poor choices and we cannot move forward. This is one of those lessons I often share with my Feast of Fasters, that if we truly want a life of food peace, got to stop obsessing about what's behind us. We are never going to be perfect eaters. There are going to be times we let loose, we fall off the wagon a little bit. The point is not to get stuck there. I want you to think of Lot's wife. Don't look back. Don't get stuck in the past, whether it's years of making poor food choices or going off the rails on a vacation weekend. Every moment you look back with regret, you are wasting a precious moment in the present and a precious opportunity to move forward. So let's not do that, ladies. Okay, our next big self-help tip comes from Ruth. Now, Ruth is most well-known for her loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So after all the men in their lives die, the father and the two sons, so sad, um, Naomi is left with her two daughter-in-laws. There's Ruth and there's Orpah. Okay, can I just give you a little sidebar about Orpah? I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere along the way that Oprah, like that was supposed to be her name, Orpah, and they got it wrong in the birth certificate. I don't know if that's totally made up, like, you know, on the front of the inquirer, but <laughs> I did read that somewhere. Maybe I should fact check those things before I share them with you. But if anybody else has heard that, let me know. I think that's kind of interesting because it's O-R-P-A-H. I don't know. They got it backwards. So anyway, now you'll never forget this chick's name. <laughs> Ruth and Orpah are the daughter-in-laws of Naomi. And so when Naomi's husband died and both of her sons died, I mean, so tragic. Then it's like all the ladies were left without their, without their guys. So what happened was Ruth wanted to move back to her homeland of Bethlehem. They were living in Moab. Um, and so Ruth and Orpah were Moabites. That was their homeland. Those were their people. And Naomi wanted to leave and go back to her people. And so Ruth went with her. And so really Ruth is known for this, this loyal move, just made out of love to stay with her mother-in-law. Um, so that's what they do. And Ruth ends up marrying a relative of her late father-in-law. Um, she marries Boaz. And they have a son named Obed, who ends up being a part of this important lineage that leads us to Jesus. Okay, so that's really what Ruth is known for. But why she stood out to me is because of this one little verse I came across in Ruth 2.14, which probably nobody else in the world has ever even thought twice about. Um, but it says, And she ate until she was satisfied, 
and she had some left over. Do y'all hear that? Homegirl stopped when she was full. She stopped eating when she was full. How simple is this concept that most of us do not put into practice? And I am the first one to admit that this is one of my biggest struggles, is having that discipline to recognize when I'm full and stop. Actually, that's not true. That <laughs> I recognize that I'm full quite often. Um, I just don't stop. It's kind of sad. Oh, y'all, my daughter. It was like just this week she said to me, Mom, I don't want to be a gluten. I was like, what? You don't want to be a gluten? She said, you know, one of those people who eats and drinks too much. I said, oh, you mean a glutton? Oh my gosh, y'all. She said, yeah, that's what I mean. I learned about being a glutton in school. Leave it to my sweet girl to get it confused with the word gluten, which probably most eight-year-olds in the world do not know what it is. Um, but it's true, friends. We do not want to be gluttons, right? Over-drinking and overeating beyond what our body needs is not helpful. It's something that I'm constantly working on. Can you hear this like big sigh? My <laughs> these big sighs. Honestly, this is this truly is my biggest struggle eating when I'm not hungry. I've said before, if I only ate when I was hungry, man, I'd be I'd be in good shape. Um, and it's something you know that I I'm always want to teach people. And what I'm constantly trying to put in practice for myself is intuitive eating really making that connection between food and food in our bodies, you know, and that would include when it's time to stop. And I would also like to point out that I don't think Sister Ruth was counting calories or macros. And it sounds ridiculous, right? <laughs> I mean, it is not necessary to do that in order to have a healthy body. I'm telling you, if we would just focus on real foods most of the time, and stop when we're full, oh my gosh, we would be golden. So let's commit to getting our Ruth on and stop eating when we're full, okay? All right, our next fabulous lady on the list is Esther. I love the book of Esther. It's a pretty short one in the Bible, but it is jammed packed with a fascinating story. So Esther was a Jewish girl who against all odds, was made queen in a Persian empire. Her husband, the king, didn't know she was Jewish, and he had agreed to a law that would wipe out the Jewish people. I'm telling you, y'all, this book is juicy. It is. It just reads really quickly. Like you're just like it's like a soap opera. So there is this really huge threat to the Jewish people. They um, they are about to be wiped out. Okay, so. Esther, as the queen, she had the power and the opportunity to stop this catastrophic event, but it was risky, big time risky. If it went wrong, she would be put to death. But if she didn't act, her people would perish. So you can see that she was in quite a pickle. And it's from here that we know this famous line from the book of Esther. Her cousin Mordecai, um, who was like her father, told her, And who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Meaning, 
maybe God put her in this exact position at this exact time because she was the right woman for the job. She probably didn't want this job, this responsibility, this weight on her shoulders. I mean, who would? But she rose to the task. She was brought to the kingdom for a time such as this. God put her in a position to serve her people, and she stepped out in faith and she did it. And it changed the course of history. I think the lesson here is to recognize that sometimes we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations that we don't want to be in because we're the right people at the right time for the right job. Now, I don't believe that God creates bad situations, but I do believe that he can see when they're coming and he lines up his people to act on behalf of his kingdom. And whether it's in your family, in your work, in your church, um, or maybe in a way that you may never even know, you may be put in the position for just the exact reason of stepping out in faith and changing lives. When you find yourself in one of these situations, ask yourself, who knows that I have come to the kingdom for a time such as this? This might be exactly where God needs you to do kingdom work. All right, my friends, I actually haven't even covered all of the self-help secrets from our soul sisters, but we're getting a little bit long on time here. So I think what I'm going to do is stop with Esther because she's my last Old Testament lady. And I was about to move into some of the women in the Old Testament, but I think I'll do a part two of this podcast down the road and cover those ladies. How about that? I just, um, I love connecting with these women and their lives and how we can learn from them. Again, I think the Bible's always speaking to us if we're willing to listen and to see it. So friends, let's just do a quick recap, okay, of what we've, what we've learned from our soul sisters so far. Let's remember to recognize that the enemy uses food to tempt us. Let's remember not to try and force God's hand or take over his plans with our own action. Um, as Proverbs 3.5 would say it, let us not lean into our own understanding. We do not know the bigger picture. From Rebecca, we can emulate obedience and faithfulness and graciousness in our daily duties. From Ruth, we can learn to stop eating when we're full. And finally, from Esther, we learn that we can step up into our kingdom work and that we are here for a time such as this. All right, my friends, I hope you have an incredible, healthy, and blessed week. Let me know what you took away from this podcast. And um, if you have any particular lessons from the ladies in the Bible that really resonate with you. All right, I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. 
Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.